Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and this afternoon, fresh off the first win of the David Coley era, I'm brought to I'm I'm here with the one and only diehard Chris. How are you doing today, man? Matt, hey man, I'm doing pretty good. I got a bad haircut this week, but other than that, it's been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been through that trauma, I think. Yeah, I remember I got a haircut when I was 10, like going into like the first day of fourth grade or something, and this lady butchered my hair, because I don't uh-huh. think she was used to cutting white people's haircuts at all, and uh, <laughs> I cried, I went in the bathroom and cried, and then she was like, are you okay? I was like, it's it's fine, it's completely screwed up. She like shaved get, the sides of my head and stuff. If it wasn't for COVID and me working at home right now, I'd legit be worried about losing my job, that's how bad it is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the Houston Texans won today, thirty-seven to twenty-one, by beating up on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, so, Chris, were you in the mindset that that this is you know Trevor Lawrence's first start, Urban Meyer's first game as a head coach? The Texans usually have success against the Jaguars; they're a veteran team that should probably perform a little bit better in beginning the season. Uh, or were you expecting the Jaguars to you know come out and put thirty-one on Houston and make this kind of like a, a a win on their end? I, I expected the Texans to win a low-scoring, boring game, honestly. Uh, that that was my expectation. So, you know, a lot of things can be true at once, that the Texans are not likely to have a very good season, but that they were likely to win this game. So that's kind of where I, that's kind of where I came out. It's just we, we all kind of know, I think, what the season is going to be uh, to a certain extent, but but they definitely did better than I expected today, even, even against a bad, you know, clearly – bad out of sync team and i mean how how often have you said this in the last few years of the texans like i, I feel like they just severely out coached the other team oh for sure and it was like a case where they just didn't hurt themselves you know like i think they had a good game plan today you know defensively i don't i don't i think it was a lot of their own like mistakes from jacksonville's in i think offensively they had good game plans today though but um just like the sheer number of mistakes Jacksonville had. They had five drop passes. They had like numerous silly penalties before the ball was even snapped as well, too. Um, they had three tur- they had three interceptions today, and each one was pretty much Trevor Lawrence overthrowing somebody on the run. And these are interceptions where you really didn't even know who he was trying to attempt to pass to as well, too. Um, it was just yeah. a, it was really just kind of like a disorienting from you know, Jacksonville's perspective. Just how how all over the place they were. They had ten penalties and they lost eighty yards on them. They only had fourteen rushing attempts. Um, and this is a team that's like going up against the Texans defense that was one of the worst run defenses in football last year. And now they have Vincent Taylor. Uh, they have Christian Kirksey and Zach Cunningham playing will linebacker. It's not that good of a, a run defense on paper, anyways. But they still were only managed to get fourteen carries to the running backs, and they picked up sixty nine yards in those carries too. And then also that 55-yard field goal attempt, I think, really kind of sealed the loss for them where they kick a, a tough field goal, fourth and three, already down by two possessions. 
rather yeah. than just go for it like they should. They attempt this long, stupid field goal. It's wide left, and then Houston scores after that. And the game was over after that point, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it was like – I think Texas – Houston just did kind of what we saw other teams do against Houston – or they just didn't make mistakes, and the Texans kind of like you know, put themselves through. And like these are like the really bad era Texans teams, though, of course. Um, and it's just yeah. like, a team that was better coached than uh, the carousel that was on the other sideline. Yeah, it was kind of like looking into a weird mirror of the Texans from a few years ago, where man, it was just offensive line penalty after offensive line penalty, poor execution, not looking like they're ready to play. I mean, how many times during the Bill O'Brien era? after the first game of the year, do we go, man, like there's a lot of stuff that you may or may not be able to control about how a first game goes, but you can tell when a team isn't ready to play. And that's exactly what the Texans look like for years under O'Brien and season openers, especially the last few. And I mean, they looked ready to play today. They, they looked, you know, they looked like kind of what they are, which is a veteran team, which, you know, with so much turnover on the roster, the last couple of years, you, you'd think that, you know, there's that blend of, yeah, you've got a lot of veterans on one year, prove it deals, blah, blah, blah. But also, these guys really have no chemistry. They didn't mm-hmm. have a, necessarily a full offseason because they uh, they canceled their, uh, you know, their mini camp or whatever way back when. So I expect it to be a blend of that. You know, there'd be some jitters and not jitters, but th- there'd be some maybe chemistry and like guys not really playing well together issues combined with the fact that they're also veterans and they've been around the block. And really what we ended up getting was, you know, obviously domination in a game where the score didn't even really reflect um the game and and you know i was i was still this is this is a horrible comparison but i kind of had the same feeling early on this is how sad it is as a texans fan right now where (laughs) it it was kind of like the chiefs playoff game that we lost where even though the texans were dominating like kansas city had all those drop passes and you just kind of knew it's a matter of time so to a much lesser degree in this game i thought well you know they had that drop pass they had that forward pass from Taylor to Philip Lindsay, which obviously was a fumble, but technically it was an incomplete pass that really bailed them out. Mm-hmm. They had that uh, amazing catch by Cooks that uh, Ty, you know, Taraj just threw that ball up there. Yeah, so they were very over, fortunate. Through two defenders, and I think Brandon Cooks is five foot ten, and he leapt over the guy in front of him, and then was yeah. like strong enough to not get jostled by the guy behind him. Very, very fortunate. So early on, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's just the Jaguars because. I even thought, well, you know, the Jaguars could still come back and punch them in the mouth and win this game. But no, it turned out the Texans, you know, they're obviously not a we don't know what they are. I, 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 we can't call them a good team yet. We can't call them a bad team yet. We think they're going to be bad. But when you are playing an inferior team, you should beat them handily. Mm-hmm. So the Texans at least did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of one of the things about the O'Brien era that was frustrating that they would, you know, consistently Ugh. play down to their opponents where they're playing a yes. bad team. They win 19 to 13 or whatever. It's like, those games, you know, are usually coin flips, and we saw the inverse of that last year, where they went two and eight in one score games. And the year before, they went nine and three in such contests, and so um, those signs of things tend to fluctuate you know, year to year. And you're beating a, a team that may be bad this year by a lot of points is a really good start on that end of it. Um, also, I want to say too, like, you know, one of the things I think about this show that you know we do is I think we're kind of looked at as being you know negative. I think across the entirety of the website in general too. But one of the things that we like always try to do is at least like not lie to you as the listener, the reader, and try to you know polish something more than it is for you know, internet clicks or or retweets or likes or anything else. Um, and maybe it's the detriment like of our own like you know popularity or whatever it is. But like we're never gonna lie to you at all. And so I think it's kind of one of those games where they beat Jacksonville handily like they did. It was a, a you know, like a really like a blowout, like a complete 
know, domination uh, in that sense of it. But it's also, they're still going to play good teams. So they're still going to play Cleveland. They're still going to play Seattle. They're still going to play like, you know, Tennessee's more talented, Indy's more talented in the division. Um, mm-hmm. And all those things are going to come down the pipeline. But I think like for now like, and today, uh, I think really kind of the best way to look at it is that, yeah, they beat, you know, maybe a bad team by a lot of points. And they typically don't do that. And that's a good thing. And just like enjoy what just happened today instead of start thinking about, is yeah. this actually a good team? Are the Texans maybe a sneaky playoff team? Uh, or already be like, well, at least it's going to be one in 16 now instead of 0 in 17, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you're playing what clearly is not a very good team, but you beat them and you beat them handily. It wasn't like this just horrible, ugly struggle where Bill O'Brien, you know, runs the ball 58 times into the center. You know, I mean, Mark Ingram, 26 or 25 carries for 85 yards. It's, that, it's, that was it's not pretty. It's not pretty. But I mean, the running game was working today they, when they needed it to, and they and they used like there was the, there was that one play where I think we were all like, oh my god, you cowards! Where you know they had that uh, fourth and one near midfield, and we all wanted them to go for it, and they should. But at the same time, you know, the, the Jaguars weren't able to get anything done on on offense, and you know the Texans actually have a pretty damn good punter, so I, I can't I can't be mad at that. I do I do feel like though Cully is probably going to be a lot more conservative than we want him to be when it comes to fourth and short during the season. Yeah, he already but, said so. He said the computers are liars. I'm going with my gut on it. Yeah, it depends yeah, on what he had for lunch that day. That's how he's going to make fourth down decisions. Yeah, always love those 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 gut guys. Oh God, <laughs> but but you know, today it didn't bother me too much because the Jags couldn't get anything going, and with their puncher, they can pin them back. And you know what what the Texans did on defense today is uh, how to put this. How do we put this lightly? It is not going to work against every team. You know, I mean, they don't have much of a pass rush right now. When you're dropping seven. You know, when they play a team that has good pass pro and has an effective offensive line and a good quarterback, look out if they try. But, you know, but they're going to change the game plan up week mm-hmm. to week, right? This week, you know, they, they did what they do against rookie quarterbacks. You know, I wonder if Romeo might have had some influence in that from his, you know, whatever advisory yeah. position, because that was like his specialty going against rookie quarterbacks. And you could see it. You know, they basically tried to keep everything in front of them, not give up big, big plays. And let kind of Trevor Lawrence hang himself a few times, and and he definitely came through for us on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and so I guess we'll we'll start the defense first. I I was also kind of wrong when I said earlier about that field goal attempt. It, they weren't down by two scores; they're down by seven, but they missed, and then that's a short drive that made a fourteen zero game at that point. And uh, and also like what I said earlier, like again, this is kind of a bit of a caveat. Like we're very happy that this game happened. We're you're know, very excited that like we had a fun game after waiting, you know, weeks and weeks for uh, this nightmare to ensue. And it's like, yeah, we may be a little, like, I guess, uh, more rational with how we approach, like, talking about kind of like the analysis of the game. And I think the defense is a is kind of a good example of that, like you brought up, Chris. You know, they allowed them 21 points. Um, they still gave a 4.8 yards a, a rush attempt. You know, they still gave a 5.8 yards a play in general for this game. Um, and it really was kind of a game that was defined by the turnovers the Jaguars had. They threw three interceptions. They dropped five passes early on. Um, they had 10 penalties this game. And I really didn't think like Houston made a lot of really great individual defensive plays at all in this one. You know, like mm-hmm. these interceptions we're looking at, these are passes where the ball's overthrown. And it wasn't like it was some tight coverage that lets those interceptions or a really great pass rush forced an inerrant pass that led to it. Um, the penalties, kind of the same thing as well, too. This was, this was Jacksonville making mistakes, too. The run game worked for Jacksonville. They just fell behind and didn't get a chance to really go after it. 
And I think Jacksonville did do a pretty good job creating open throws. There was just some of them were kind of tough for Lawrence, where in that cover two, where the ball had to be higher up to get over the first level defender. And that led to some high throws to miss some passes. And the receivers dropped a, a bunch of shots as well, too. And so I do think, like, as good of a, like 21 points is in an NFL game, regardless of like who the quarterback is and everything else, it still is kind of like a, like a pyritic sort of game. You know, I don't really see a mm-hmm. whole lot from this one looking into next week against Cleveland and, uh, and to kind of go off of for that for the future. But I really did think it was a game where Jacksonville's offense really kind of you know, ate their own fingers off. I, I definitely agree. And, and, and the issues with Lawrence definitely look like the kind of issues that will go away once he just gets more, you know, more reps in that offense and, and gets more comfortable. Uh, and obviously, you know, catches a break with his receivers not dropping so many passes. Um, there, there's one big difference. Like, when we talk about differences between this year's team and last year's team with the Texans, obviously it goes without saying because there's been so, so much player turnover. But I, one thing that just – I don't know if it's coaching, if it's philosophy, what it is, because it's not like the defense was being run by, you know, some jag off the last few years. It was Romeo Cornell, who obviously has had a lot of success, a lot of Super Bowl rings as a defensive coordinator – but starting even with the preseason, with a couple of notable exceptions, the big difference that I notice in the Texans is the lack of missed tackles. Like that, mm-hmm. the last couple of years, they were missing tackles all over the field every game. And it's so, so frustrating as a fan when that's one of your team's big Achilles heels is, you know, the combination last year of not forcing turnovers and and allowing a lot of broken tackles. And I just am not seeing that from them starting in the preseason, even with the, you know, second, third stringers out there. And then today, you know, I, I didn't notice a lot of defensive players for the Texans, you know, allowing broken tackles. And, and that's such a basic fundamental part of the game. But man, that makes a huge, huge difference. So I'm really happy to see that that apparently has been coached out of them, I guess. I don't know where that came from the last couple of years, but I, I really hope that trend continues. And of course, you know, the turnovers, they'll, that it's always a big deal. Obviously, like you said, you know, some of that was because of Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Like there were some gifts there. Um, but you know, when, when the opportunities present themselves, you, you have, you still have to catch the mm-hmm. ball. You still have to execute. So, um, you know, so far so good on that, on that front, it's just not something I expect to continue against better coached, more talented and more experienced teams. Yeah. And I think tackling is a great point. And uh, I hope it's because they signed Desmond King who, it's like an all-time like wrestling tackle where he'll get you to the mat, you know, no matter what it takes to get you there. He's still good wrapping up. But, I mean, that's kind of the game plan for this defense. And kind of today, too, was you keep things in front of you, come down, make tackles, limit any sort of big plays, and they did a good job of that today. Um, you know, one of the things I kind of saw, though, is I didn't think the pass rush was very good today at all. Like, I think mm-hmm. Lawrence had plenty of time to throw. You know, Merciless had that sack, which I called, you know, the piece of corn to, to top Jacksonville's turd today. <laughs> and uh, it was Lawrence, like, getting deep in the pocket, allowing, you know, Merciless to pick up this, like, five-second sack where he's able to dive and clip his heels. But I just didn't see, like, a lot of, you know, pocket collapsing. I didn't see him having to really kind of deal with the whole lot at all. I think Taylor had one holding penalty that was bogus, another one that was actually warranted. But I didn't see much of a pass rush at all. And that's kind of one of the foundations of this defense is you have to be able to have a great front four rush. And the second thing is the linebacker coverage play was abysmal. You know, they're not getting in throwing lanes. They look kind of lost. Um, the ball is like, they're not, you have to like cover 
in, the, in like a zone defense like this, you have to cover with both your body and your eyes. So like you're feeling receiver this way, but your body still has to take away the throwing lane. And they just weren't wow. getting to their spots over and over and over again. And like these are players who aren't getting coverage either. It's Christian Kirksey. It's Camu Gregor-Hill. It's Kevin Pierre-Lewis. It's uh, Zach Cunningham. You know, these aren't good coverage linebackers at all in general. And so we saw, you know, two, we saw one easy touchdown uh, from Lawrence today. And so to man hurts. And so I think we're going to see more of those throws throughout the intermediate deep middle. And uh, I just don't think they have the talent really kind of pull off that linebacker play to really make sure this defense kind of actually works. Yeah. That's kind of what, what we were talking about before. You know, they're not going to be able to just rush four guys against every team they play and and then, and then, you know, hang their hat on the, you know, the, the seven defensive backs. It's just, it's just not going to work. And, and hopefully this is going to be a week to week thing where they, they adjust their game plan accordingly because, you know, that just that just isn't going to fly, but it works great today um, on, on the pass rush end. I, I didn't I didn't think the pass rush was quite as ineffective as you did, but it wasn't really about um, it, it was more about Trevor Lawrence. You know, he he seemed pretty uncomfortable all day, but it wasn't necessarily because of the Texans all the time. I think it was a lot of just, you know, rookie discomfort for a guy who obviously has played against top competition and a guy who's been in a lot of big games. He, mm-hmm. he just looked really uncomfortable a lot. So the Texans at least did enough to make the rookie uncomfortable today. But uh, again, this is not something you're going to get every week. You know, you're not going to get it against a veteran like Baker Mayfield next week, or, you know, God forbid an actual, you know, top flight quarterback. So we'll get a little taste of that later in the season, but you know, they, they did, they did all the right things to win this week. And I don't think that should go understated because coaching has been a big problem for this Mm -hmm. team for years now. And they did what they did today and played better than expectations and probably played better than anyone thought they would. And I think largely that was because they severely outcoached the Jaguars on, on uh, both sides of the ball. So I, I, I'm going to give them credit for that. I just don't think it's going to work every week. And they're, they're going to change their game plans, of course, week to week. And some of them aren't going to work as well as they did today. But today, it worked fine. So really with the Texans, it's just about what your uh, perspective is. You know, are you looking at the ground level? Are you looking at this from, you know, a 100-foot view, a 1,000-foot view, a 10,000-foot view? From the 10,000-foot view, Everything still looks pretty bad to, mm-hmm. I think, all of us. We're not fooled. But ground level today, they did what they did. They did better than we expected, and they do deserve credit for that. Yeah, and, uh, and that uncomfortableness, I think Levy Smith did a good job with that. Like, I, I think he disguised his coverages really well. Um, he put a lot of, like, clatter along the line of scrimmage to confuse them. He blitzed mm-hmm. them pretty well early in the game and kind of backed off of it later once they had a lead, too. And uh, it just seemed like they kept running into, like, kept rolling into two high safety looks though in the cover two. So they would show, you know, like double A gap uh, blitz, you know, like double A gap blitz pressure and mm-hmm. the ball snapped and then all the linebackers roll into their hook zones, you know. And so I think Smith did a really good job making things uncomfortable for Lawrence, even though they weren't really executing or winning their one versus one matchups and pass rushing um, situations. Like a man who had a quarterback hit that was unblocked off of a, off a bootleg pass. Merciless had a quarterback hit. Blacklock had a quarterback hit where he kind of, dove at, at Lawrence and forced him on the pocket. Um, those are only like really two real sources of pressure. And then he also, of course, had the merciless had that sack, but that was like a, a six and a half second long sack that yeah. it took to happen, you know? And so, um, effort get, sack. an effort sack for sure, which, you know, merciless getting one sack was very cute. I'm glad he got that and was very happy about it after you know, yeah. his last, how, how bad he was last year at times too. 
Um, but yeah, I think Smith did a much better job than I expected just as far as his ability to confuse Lawrence and, and mix, mix his pre-snap looks up well um, and kind of how they, they roll their coverages after the snap. I think that was more important than what their pressure did, but against like good offenses, you know, the front four pressure is really good is what's going to have to like kind of carry this defense because they do have a lot of like names here. They have a lot of players they can rotate in and out. None of them are really like impact players at all or impact pass rushers, but Mm -hmm. just because they have eight, nine guys deep, they can stay fresh and kind of wear down offenses over time. Yeah. And that's going to come in handy up front over the season because they're already not good uh, in the defensive backfield and they already don't have a lot of depth in the defensive backfield. And there's always going to be injuries. You know, they, they traded off Bradley Roby, which, you know, if you want to talk about that later on, I mean, this this is more of a a game review podcast, but I mean, they don't have much depth when you're, when Vernon Hargraves is one of your starters, you do not have (laughs) a lot of depth. So, you know, eventually one of those guys is going to miss a game or two, that stuff's going to happen. So, I, I just I just feel like every week on defense is going to be a stressful watch because they're just a player or two injury away from going from you know what I think will be below average to maybe much much worse. It just it just really depends on the game plan and the competition they're going against. Yeah, I agree. And whenever Hargreaves got hurt, it's like I don't know who their next cornerback is going to be on the outside if something happens to either him or Terrence Mitchell. And like that interception he had, kind of peeling off his first route to pick off that pass was you know like the toughest interceptions in the day was like. I think by far the best play Hargreaves has had in Houston and probably even the best play he's had in his entire career at all. Uh, so what did you think about the Roby trade? Um, I mean, I, I, have a, I have some mixed feelings about it. So he clearly is your best corner. And, but at the same time, you know, the, the Texans are not going to do anything this year. You know, they're not going to be fighting for a playoff spot, I don't think. And if, even if they were able to stumble backwards and do a playoff spot, I mean, come on, like the most optimistic Texans fan doesn't think they're going to be, you know, championship contenders. So the fact that they basically ate enough salary to make it a third round draft pick, I mean, I, I, I'm fine with that because, again, what are they going to do this year? You know, if, if you actually have enough players to get someone to get a decent draft pick or two in return, I mean, I, I'm good with that. The problem is, you know, it took an already weak position and made it, you know, you, 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 made a, you may have already been at the bottom of the league for your cornerback room. And, and now it's just that much worse. So I, I think it does kind of fly in the face of what the team has been saying about how, oh, yeah, we want to be competitive. We're not tanking. We're not this. We're not that. Like, to me, blatantly, they, they showed their hand on that end. But that's fine. It's what, it's what teams do. Um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't like the trade in that it's going to make the defensive play less enjoyable to watch this year. But my thought kind of was if they could get a third for this, then I'll just be like, fine, you yeah. know, let's just go with it and move on because this is not going to be one of those years where we um, are going to be cleaning up in the playoffs or anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I what... bet the team, though, itself was pissed about it. They, I'm sure they were not happy. Yeah, I know Ryan Johnson made sure to make his voice heard. He just said, shit's crazy, which, I mean, I guess so. Um, but yeah. my, my kind of perspective on it was if it was a third-round pick, I thought it was a good deal, you know? But if it was like a fourth round pick or like two fifth round picks, I think it'd been you know a terrible trade. Exactly. Um, yes. And and it's weird because they have said this like all year long, like we're going we're going to be competitive this year. You know, we're going to surprise a lot of people this year. They have kind of talked about this whole like all we care about is building a culture this and a culture that. And uh, this was you know one of those decisions that was made you know, directly like spitting in the face of we're trying to win this year by training your best cornerback by not having much cornerback depth behind him. 
by Roby being far and away the best cornerback on this team. And like Roby's a guy who you want to be your third best corner and not your best corner. Um, right. And I think like playing in New Orleans is gonna be perfect for him in that role that he's gonna be able to have there. But yeah, it really wasn't. It just it didn't go in line with the other decisions they made. And that's kind of my problem. Like I have with Casario's offseason in general, where that was just like pulled apart in so many different directions. You know, by like being a rebuilding team but signing all these veterans. And all that's really going to add to you is by having like a, a couple additional comp picks, you know, or maybe you get a six round pick or two at the trade deadline for instead of playing the younger players by restructuring contracts to create cap space for this season and limiting the cap space that they have next year um, by trading up in the yeah. third round like they did multiple times by taking Davis Mills in the third round when you're probably bad and be able to take a quarterback. You're pretty easy in the first round next year and most of the round quarterbacks aren't good. And I don't think Davis Mills is going to be good. I don't think, and I think it's kind of like based off his college tape and his preseason video and everything else too. And so there was just, it was just in so many different directions, you know? And I think for Houston, like their thing is, well, our culture is what we're working on right now. And what really builds a good culture is winning football games, you know? Right. I don't, yes. the culture doesn't come before you win football games. It goes concurrently with winning football games. And so I think they're kind of insane from, from that point of view. But I do like the Roby trade since they got their own pick, you know? And not having Cow Streets for this year really doesn't matter all whatsoever. Yeah, we're pretty much aligned on that because when I saw the trade was announced, uh, well, when it was first when it was first reported, uh, and they didn't announce the compensation yet, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then when there was talk about them covering more of Roby's salary, I thought to myself, well, that's ridiculous. Why would they do that? And then I paused and thought, oh, it's because they're going to cover more salary for a higher bit of compensation. So at that point. I had the same thought. If a third comes back, I'll be fine with this. Anything less than a third, then at very least, they probably should have waited to the trade deadline, you know, because that would have been a time more likely for them to get a third, even without picking mm-hmm. up that extra salary compensation. So the fact that he basically bought them a third round pick, you know, I, I, I'm good with that because of just the circumstances surrounding this entire season. Um, and then just a real other quick comment. Um, my biggest issue with Casario's uh, strategy this offseason is really just that when you do what you do this when, when what you did this year when you have so much roster turnover and you have all these one year deals for all these veterans you're you're essentially pausing the rebuild for a year because those guys aren't going to come back you know the ones that do prove it and are much older they're not going to sign those guys for long term deals because they're older so those guys are going to move on and then next year they'll cycle in more one year deals so that i mean but, you know, in reality, in the, in the NFL, it probably is more of a two-year type of deal unless you have a franchise quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. so, many, so many teams have proven that the two-, three-, four-year rebuild is just is, is bunk. Uh, it's been done so many times. So uh, it, it, that, was probably, that was probably my biggest issue with the offseason strategy. But, it, you know, I just really want to see what's going to go on with the quarterback situation because I agree with you. I don't think Mills is the guy. And we're definitely going to see him play, I think, because – you just want to see what he can do at some point during this season, which is not likely to be super competitive. And on top of that, you know, Taylor always at some point gets injured and I hope he doesn't, you know, I want him to play. He did pretty well today, but I would also, I'm afraid, I'm kind of afraid that the Texans will talk themselves into Davis mills. So I need him to get on the field and show that he's not the guy, you know, (laughs) like I want to see like six mills games. Like I said, you can't, I don't think you can stomach pump six games, but you can probably, you know, polish a, a three-game turd, you know, where he's like, well, there were some good throws he made you know, here and there and, and whatever else, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it, There's, like, a weird balance between having a team full of, like, nothing but young players and veterans because if it's all young players, you get bad habits and they get down themselves and the team's bad and everything else. And so there has to be, like, a, a balance between the two, but I don't think the Texans really did that at all. They're kind of like – they just have an older team in general. 
um, you know, this season too. So uh, offensively, you know, you mentioned Taylor. Like Taylor was a starting quarterback in Buffalo in 18, and they, they moved on from him. That was the year where they lost 10-3 to Jacksonville in the first round of the playoffs. He went mm-hmm. to Cleveland the year after. He was, you know, bad in a start and a half. He got benched for Baker. He signed Los Angeles. He backed up Philip Rivers. And then last year he was going to start. And then uh, right before kickoff, the team doctor, was, who was a char- ended up being the Chargers MVPs, accidentally stabbed yeah. him in the lung. Punched him in the lung, yeah. yeah. Led to the punched Justin, the hole in his lung, Justin Herbert rookie of the year season. <laughs> and, uh, like, I didn't, like, I think Taylor was was good today, but I think the game plan was good, too. I think Tim Kelly did a really good job running RPOs, running play action. Uh, He did a great job using tight ends to to muddy up their their linebacker and like middle field defenders to create open routes to the sideline. Like Taylor had that wide open touchdown pass to David Johnson. He had the other pass to uh, Brandon Cooks out of the backfield. You know those throws are kind of available for the sideline like over and over and over again just by using their tight ends to to create those Mm -hmm. spaces and open throws. But like even on top of that, like Taylor just made some. You know, balls out, throws downfield. That throw to you know Farrell Brown was one. Those two throws to Cooks were another two. Um, and he was he was sharp today, aside from that first drive. And he made big plays. He had that big scramble, made those big throws also. And it was really just like a, a perfect start. You know, from Tyrod Taylor, who's a guy whose best attributes are he doesn't take sacks and he doesn't turn the ball over at all. And uh, he mm-hmm. was far and away more than that sort of quarterback today. It goes back to coaching, and what I mean by that at this instance is I think the key to why Taylor did the job today is because the game plan allowed Taylor to be what he is and did not require him to be something that he's not. So they they kept him in the cage of what he's capable of, and he didn't have to go outside of that. And if they keep coaching it that way, that you know will lead to some success on the on the offensive side of the ball. It's just again, it's going to depend on the matchups week to week. And then on top of that, again, a product of the coaching is okay. Fine, you kept David Johnson because you're embarrassed about what happened with DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> this guy's making so much money; he's obviously not worth anything close to that. The, the Texans did a pretty good job in the front office of jettisoning and getting rid of all these bad contracts and all these Bill O'Brien mistakes in the first year, like as much as they could. But that was the one that, you know, uh, Easterby or the Lord or whoever made them hang on to. Fine, fine, fine. Great. But what did they do with him today? What is his strength? Catching the ball. He did not run the ball very much. When he did run the ball, it was embarrassing. He was so slow to the hole. He was just, he just looks totally yeah, had, inept as a running back to me. carries for 10 yards today. And, and he looked, and he looked so inept and like slow to me when he when he ran the ball like indecisive like no no chance at all that he will break a tackle but his strength is catching the ball and what did they do they tried to throw them him the ball again uh, a bunch today amazing you have a guy you know what his strengths are you try to play (laughs) to his strengths i mean that's such a basic thing that this so today it's like these it's like these little microcosms of everything so today were the texans that good or the jaguars that bad and also is Cully and the coaching that good or was Bill O'Brien coaching? Was he as a coach so bad? It's all these things sort of running into each other because there's just so many basic fundamental things that I see are better under Cully. And I know Cully is not a hands-on guy with the defense or the offense necessarily. He's letting his coordinators do his thing. Lo and behold, they're tackling better. They're using the players for what they're supposed to be used for better through one game. You know, I don't want to overreact because it's just one game and it's just the Jaguars. But again, you're throwing the ball yeah. to David Johnson, but you're not handing him the ball 15 times. That is an improvement. 
Yeah, and, and like the Bill O'Brien version of this game is Houston, you know, has three interceptions. Uh, you know, they and they end up winning like, I don't know, 24 to 20. You know what I mean? Like that's, right, the, yes. that's the Bill O'Brien version of this game instead of, you know, what we saw today. And they run yeah. that like tied in uh, repass option, you know, over and over and over again. Matt, even with Deshaun Watson, if Bill O'Brien yes, was coaching this game, Watson, it would have been a 24-20 game. A hundred percent. Not even an exaggeration. That's just what Bill O'Brien was. And he'll have a good season coaching at Alabama because they have all the talent in the world. And then one, it's only going to take one dumb team to have him on the sideline in the NFL again next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do kind of feel like a jilted lever bringing up Bill O'Brien, but I hate Bill O'Brien you know, so much. And like, it's not necessarily, like, I, he got the bare minimum out of the Texans and what was so annoying about him, you know, being the head coach of this team was not only like the bad general manager decisions or like his arrogance or anything like that. But the entire time we were watching them, there is definitely a better reality out there, you know. But we're trapped yes. in this one, Bill O'Brien. But you know, there's another one out there where there's an actual head coach and offense coordinator who can get the most out of Deshaun Watson and uh, and doesn't trade star players and gets gets little for him, doesn't make insane contract decisions and everything else. And like this is a team that wins a Super Bowl or you know makes it to the AFC Championship game even finally, but we were stuck in that you know, residual past because of you know who he was and his own failures and everything else too. And uh, you know you're talking about David Johnson, like they started off 0 4 last year because they try to give David Johnson 15 20 carries a game, so I make the mm-hmm. Hopkins trade worth it. And he was awful. Like they lost that Steelers game because they try to feed David Johnson. They didn't really start scoring points until the third quarter of that Vikings game because they were trying to feed David Johnson. You know, he's it's a, like he was a direct reason why they, they had the start they had and lets the Bill O'Brien fire, which was you know kind of poetic looking back on it. But now it's like yeah, every time <laughs> David Johnson touches the ball, it's kind of it's just kind of sad. Like he should be in the farm up state, you know, he should be pickling beets yes. and peaches or something. <laughs> yes, and, and I mean, you know, and maybe you can tell me. Like, I, I thought Philip Lindsay was a pretty damn good player his first couple of years in the league. What, what what what's happened to him? Is he just not good anymore? Is it is there something I'm missing with him? Was I, he never as good as I thought he was? No, I think there's two things with Denver last year. I think one, their offense was a lot better when they ran more power run plays, and like he's a mid outside zone back, like you know the Arian Foster sort of running style. Um, and the Broncos are a lot better not blocking that scheme at all. And he was also, he's just not very good as a pass catcher as well either, you know, and he was hurt last year and everything else like that too. Like he was a good guy to get for a one-year contract. And that's kind of the weird thing about this offense this year. And I wrote about it in the season preview is that you have like Ingram, who's like a, a power run, like between the tackles runner. You have David Johnson, who's supposedly like an inside zone jump cut runner, but he, does, he hasn't done that really since like 2015 or whatever. And then you have Burkhead, who's a pass catcher. We don't really know what Scotty Phillips is at all. And then, uh, and then Lindsey's a mid zone, outside zone guy who can run the occasional power play and break big yards. But you don't want him like consistently grounding those runs out like that too. But like I, I think the just run distribution is just really kind of weird here with Mark Ingram like age thirty two having thir- twenty six carries for eighty five yards, which comes out yeah. to three point three yards a carry, like a, a perfect Bill O'Brien stat line. And Lindsay had eight carries for 25 yards, which is 3.1. Uh, Johnson, three carries for 10 yards, which is 3.3. And then Taylor, four carries for 40 yards. And he had, of course, had that long scramble for 29 yards, you know. But the run game wasn't very good here as well either. And uh, I, I watched a lot of Titus Howard today. And he was high. He wasn't driving guys off the line of scrimmage at all. He was catching the second level. And there was a lot of talk about him moving to guard, like he's going to be a Pro Bowl player here. But he's never been a good run blocker at all. 
And so uh-huh. even under the summer coaching under James Campen, like I was really kind of disappointed by his run blocking. I didn't think Tensel, you know, I s- saw some glimpses here and there watching that side of the line of scrimmage. Um, I didn't see him do very much in that regard too. But like I don't, I think the run game was like very underwhelming today against a, a typically bad you know, run defense too. But I'm excited for the film to come out. But yeah, I don't buy this idea that the Texans had some like really great rushing attack or their run blocking was really good today. Their yards per carry numbers are inflated by you know Tyrod Taylor's 29 yard scramble. You know. Yeah, yeah, and of course, kind of running out the clock in the second half here mm-hmm. and there. Uh, there was there was a lot of that, and and yeah, the, the running game is going to be interesting going forward. I just it, to me. It's it's funny, like you could take a person who I think doesn't know anything about football and just the eyeball test, you know, at least Mark Ingram to me looks like he belongs on a he field good still. To, like he looks a lot like better he's got than, top in his than he step, was last you know? Yeah, yeah. He was a lot better he, than he looked last year. And then you he just looks he he actually looks like he you know, I'm not saying he's a top flight guy or anything anymore. Clearly he's not, but he looks like he belongs on an NFL field. Whereas when David Johnson carries the ball, like it, it just I think I think even casual fans could be like, why did he take the handoff and then just stand there until he fell down? <laughs> Is there sand? Did that did that warlock turn the field into sand? <laughs> yes, I, I don't. I, I I have no idea what. Like, I know he's obviously lost a step, but it also feels like now he plays to avoid injury, like just to continue to get the the uh, like one more. Con- yeah. I don't know. Like, and I, and it, he's like a great community guy, and I've heard interviews with him, and he's a really really great dude. But man, oh man. Yeah, I think he, the, he's hard to watch. I think the and I think the O'Brien trade too is the worst thing that could happen to his career, where he was like trying yeah. to like bounce back and get his career going again after having you know back to back injury seasons. And you know that year that uh, you know they traded from 2019 that season Arizona, he was the third best run back on that team. Like he was right, worse yep. than Edmonds, he was worse than Drake, um, and he got hurt that season too. And like a lot of his passing catches were like the results of a spread offense where he was like a dump off receiver. And there was like nobody within twenty yards around of him. And like for a guy like in that case, especially at running back position where those guys age so fast, you know, trading making trading him for Hopkins was I think the worst thing that could happen. Oh yeah. And you know, he's you know completely blasted by the fans, you know, all the time because of of something that wasn't under his control at all. Whatsoever. It's not his fault. Yeah. But yeah, if, like if every you... every Johnson touch just like I it, it seems meaningless, you know. Like put Scotty Phillips out there. Yeah. I mean what what you not, it's not only what they – this is the thing that, that I don't understand. It's not only what they get out of David Johnson could be done by an unsigned free agent rookie. It's that what they try to do with him this season, you know, in one game. Like last season it was different because they still tried to run him so much, and, and, and that was a terrible decision. But at least they're like, all right, we've got this guy. He does this thing. Maybe we can recapture something. We're going to give him a shot. That, I don't agree with that, but that's what they tried to do. This year, clearly, he's the he, he was the third back for carries today, I think, right? But Lindsay had more carries than him, I believe, or maybe the yeah, same Lindsay amount. Yeah, Lindsay had more. Mm-hmm. So, so now, not only can you go and pick up someone cheap off the street to do what David Johnson does for you, you can go get someone cheap off the street to uh, not just for his or results, just play cornerback, but, but like, for what a, they even want. get a cornerback, even you know, because like Burkhead and him are the same player, but I think Burkhead's a little bit better than he is, you know. I, it's just weird to me that, like, you know, they they knew going in what they were going to do with David Johnson, and it wasn't ten million dollars a year running back, 
So why do they keep him? They only kept him because of the DeAndre thing. I know I'm harping on it, yeah. but it's not just the results of what he's doing. It's what they knew they were going to have him do that could have been replaced by an unsigned, like a, an undrafted rookie free agent or, you know, a second or third or like year guy even, who even might have Johnson. some upside. Yeah, or even like exactly. Johnson, you know? Perfect example. Perfect example. Because, you know, we know what we have with David Johnson. We already know. Yeah. And like Bert, and I think Burke has the same player as Johnson is. Right now, but I think Burkhead's a little bit bigger, a little bit better. But it's just bizarre they have both. They carry five running backs in general. And again, like yeah. these are just things that kind of like lend its credence. Where if you're thinking about the Texans for the future, like how, like how, how do you feel about this team being good in the next two or three years? You know, and decisions like little decisions like this are kind of like what you know Eric mean about Casario and how much control he may or may not have with you know Eastbury still in the building and all that too. Um, mm-hmm. So Brandon Cooks had five catches, 132 yards. He averaged twenty six point four yards a catch. This is on seven targets. He had long, uh, you know, fifty two yards, and I wasn't expecting a whole lot from Cooks this year, mainly because Tyrod Taylor's not like a really accurate deep thrower, and a lot of Cooks's deep catches last year weren't like him torching somebody one versus one coverage. They're like a lot of play action deep crossing routes where Deshaun Watson make you know absurd throws and put on his little body. And then Cooks had this game today where he had. Like he had like two catches towards the sideline, quick out routes that were nicely run, and then these two deep balls, and uh, one like over two Jacksonville defenders like we talked about earlier, and like I don't know, like may I may just be completely wrong about Brandon Cooks this year. Uh, he may just be like really good, and even though he's 28 years old and he's a, a fast guy built on speed who's a little bit slower, he may just be able to still be like a really good wide receiver, even with Tyrod Taylor here. Um, do you think it's one game too soon to start feeling like this, or what? Do you, what is your kind of general consensus on uh, Brandon Cooks? Um, I feel similar. I, I think it was just kind of a one game thing, but I mean, seeing him go up and and win a fifty fifty ball was not something I expected to see. You know, <laughs> like if that's the kind of effort we're going to get out of him, then then great. But yeah, I, I feel like he he's perfect when he's when he's you know schemed open by by Tim Kelly, and uh, I mean he can still be very dangerous in that way. I just I just. He's one of those guys where I kind of feel like if everything goes perfect, he can be an effective receiver. But the moment things start to break down, not so much. But today, you know, things did break down. And what happened? He had a couple of long receptions and he did well with it. So I I was very pleasantly surprised by that, too. I, I, you know, I I know I've been saying a lot of negative things today. But, you know, again, the ground level view of just talking about today's game. I mean, I was I was I was very impressed, even though they're playing the Jaguars, you know, looking at it. And this in this one game window where it's the first game for them, just like it is for everybody else. Yeah, I I, I was impressed. They they were re- they were more ready to play than they were under O'Brien. They were better coached than they were under O'Brien. I think they had more effort because I think I think that broken tackles thing is a lot of an effort situation a lot mm-hmm. of the times, not just coaching. So I I just feel like it, that there was a now here here's my question though: Is this just like a spike of? You know, oh, the world's against us. Everyone thinks we're the worst team in the league. And then yeah. after a few games, it'll wear off. Like Dan Campbell, when he took over the Dolphins or they whatever that three year. Games in a row. Yeah, and, and then everyone realized after that. that. And then the adrenaline left their bodies and they'd all died on the field. Yeah, they ca- they, they crashed in their caffeine overload. It's like I, when I was like 15 or whatever, I discovered who Bill Simmons was. I read, you know, every Bill Simmons article and all that. And I'm not that much fan as a, a Bill Simmons as an adult. But he, mm-hmm. this is like the ultimate Bill Simmons team where there's Ewing potential here because the Sean Watson <laughs> is on the team and it's the nobody believed in us in team and Phil Lindsay talks about all the time. And it's just like two of the ultimate Bill Simmons archetypes, which are like kind of cute and kind of nauseating. Um, yeah. You know, all at the same time too. 
Yeah, I, what what was the word that Philip Lindsay gave the Texans in that interview? Were the were the scum buckets or something of the league? I didn't hear that he, one, but that's a good word. Yeah, there there was something during the during the preseason. I think he said something about how like everyone thinks we're scum buckets or whatever, and I was just like, wow, man, like you you know how you know how it is with pro athletes. You know, they have to take everything very you know very personally and and just not look at the reality. It's funny though when you you see some of these guys who turn from players into announcers and then they start figuring out, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I understand mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I understand now why people feel this way. Yeah, exactly. It's like I've been surprised <laughs> that Bradley Roby's trading that sort of stuff too. Or uh, like Charles Omenet who blocked me on Twitter after he got drafted because I wrote about how I didn't think he'd be a very good edge rusher, and you know that used like fuel for his fire or whatever. And he is uh-huh. a very good edge rusher. He's a really good interior rusher, like good at long arming and bull rushing and and rips in that regard. And, uh, and like, I just didn't think of him being able to be used in, in that sort of a manner. I was watching his videos like a outside defensive end, you know, but they do read and like see more stuff than you think, but it's all kind of like independent on the player or whatever too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think the, the ground level thing is good in the sense of, I think today was like really cathartic as a, as a Texans fan. Like, there's like two different hats, you know, there's a hat you wear, like you're trying to think of what's happening and what interests you about like the overall game of football and uh, and the Texans itself. There's also the aspect too of like you know cheering, be a fan, what you want to see. And I think from like a Texans fan perspective of it, like that that venture cool of the heart. Uh, it was like a very cathartic win, you know, after everything that happened last year, everything that happened this off season, after finally getting away from Bill O'Brien, and like having like a week one like kicking teeth out, you know, sort of win. Uh, today was a lot of fun, and it felt really good. And like even as as like disenchanted, jaded I've become over the years, and like that sort of sense where everybody's so you know, wrapped up with the Texans and their identity. Like today was really fun and really enjoyable. And, uh, and like, it was a great start to the David Coley era. And I'm so happy for Coley too. Like, he finally got his chance. He got a good win. He's licking his lips, you know, on the, on the drive back home today. And so I'm very happy that he's happy and we're all happy right now. Yeah. My, my biggest fear about this season, cause I still, I, I think we all agree that there's still not going to be a good team. My issue is, there's there's bad exciting football or let me say bad fun football and there's bad boring and the last thing i want is bad boring and when the texans were bad under bill o'brien they were boring as all hell just the most boring team i've ever seen and so at least you know when they were good it was some of the most boring football you'll ever see yeah and 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 i mean tim kelly since he has been unleashed from you know, Bill O'Brien's strings ha- has been a, a little bit more fun to watch. And, you know, the, the offense, I, I, I do like a lot of the play design. I think it's fun to watch. You know, you got the guys going in motion all the time. You know, you got the two back sets, you got the shotgun stuff, you got the three wides, like, I, you know, the, the multiple tight end sets. I mean, he does a lot of stuff that I think is fun to watch. So that part I'm excited about. Um, you know, I, I do wish we had some more playmakers. I, I, I would love to see more of what Nico Collins is capable of. I mean, today to me, I thought that was a touchdown. You know, that that little shove, that that's the kind of shove that DeAndre Hopkins got away with all the time. Yeah. And on top of that, it was a one-handed grab. So I, I, I do want to see more Nico. I'm excited about, about him. I just I wish we had a couple more playmakers to get excited about, but the offense does not look it's, like it's going to be boring. Yeah, and that and like that's a really good point, too. Uh, so we have some rapid-fire listener questions here. Um, the first one's from at founder of Houston sports and he had four questions. One of them was, are the Texans not a bottom five team? Um, I think they're still a bottom five team. You just really, the two things you can't react to 
this game too much, I think, because it's the Jaguars. And you also just can't react too much because it's the first game of the season. Yeah. Like, it's just so early. Uh, I, I, I really the, – the only thing I feel a little bit better about is that they're going to be more competitive than I thought. They're not going to get smoked every week, which, you know, I, I thought they would win this game. So that did not surprise me. They just did it in a better fashion than I thought. I, I just really feel like, you know, once they start hitting the better the better quarterbacks and the, and the, the better coach teams, mm-hmm. it's going to be – Difficult. So anyway, sorry. Rapid fire means rapid fire. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's more like Jacksonville. I didn't think they were a bomb five team. Like, I think I had them at, like, 21st, and I wrote the power rankings. Because the regression stuff last year, you know, I was excited about Lawrence. And, um, like, even though Urban Meyer has his questions, you know, I thought they at least run. Like, he's always been able to coach, like, a really, like, interesting offense, you know. And now seeing Urban Meyer team like this was – this was an abortion today, you know? Yeah. And so I would put I would put Jackson on the bottom five, but I put Houston down there. I would put Atlanta down there now after how they lost to Philly, who was I, I was expecting them to be a, a bottom five team as well, too. Um, and all this will change Jets, with injuries. Maybe. Yeah, and I think the Jets and Lions are down there also. So I think mm-hmm. it's Atlanta, Jacksonville, New York Jets, Detroit, and, uh, and Atlanta in the bottom five. Mm-hmm. So it was it was fun today, but again, like if you think about the big picture for the future, um, he also asked about the offensive line. We talked about that. How long until Tim Kelly gets more love? I think I mean like last year he did the bare minimum by using Watson more open and spread sets. But I didn't think he was like particularly great last year. I just think he made the one easy decision that was kind of sitting there all along. But you know he was a first year offensive coordinator. I think he had a really good game plan today. And uh, we'll see what happens in the future. I just don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really have a good feel for, for Tim Kelly at all right now. I mean, I'll just go back to the answer I gave earlier when we were talking about Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien. Even with Deshaun Watson, this was a 24-20 win in the Bill O'Brien era. So whatever's going on now with, with Kelly being released from the constraints that O'Brien put on him, you know, through one game, you know, I think it's working. So I, 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 I really... I really do hope that trend continues. Uh, it just—I'm really excited to see how much of a game plan kind of team this is, because that's what Bill O'Brien said. He said they were going to be a game plan yeah. offense, uh-huh. except that the game plan every week was to run the freaking running back into the center 46 times. Yeah. So he had, he had three game plans. He had that. He had the super hot, super cool downfield Deshaun Watson offense his rookie year, and then he had the drag flat tight end read offense against teams with bad linebackers too. Yeah, and then he also had the game plan of waiting two series too late to just put the ball in Deshaun's walk, yeah. uh, Deshaun's hands and let him do his thing when they would be down by, you know, 14 points with four minutes left and letting every tick off the clock expire <laughs> when they're running the offense. It drive me absolutely crazy. I'm just, ugh. We'll have to anyway. watch that, that Colts playoff loss together one day. Even oh, we, I, I don't think we will. <laughs> I mean, it, depend, it depends we on could the watch, amount we could of watch, We could watch the condensed version take 40 minutes. Just because okay. I know that was well, the game that, that drove you the craziest thing. Uh, I did. I busted about. a blood vessel. That we'll, we'll turn into a drinking game. It'll be fun. Uh, the other question we had here is about Ross Blacklock. I mean, he had that one pressure. It's something where I didn't really see it all like while I was watching it live. But I'll then look out for whenever the film uh, comes out this week. There was another question about the run game being good. I didn't think it was particularly good all today. I think this idea like the left-hand side really kind of grinded Jacksonville out. I didn't really see it all watching. I didn't think Howard played that well in the run game. Uh, uh-huh. But then the pass protection was okay today. There is like, but there's, I think Tyrod Taylor made it look a lot better than what it was. You know, Jackson's pressure was actually pretty good, but Taylor was able to slip out of a lot of sacks. And that's one of the things uh, that Tyrod Taylor is really good at. But the other question here was despite the result, 
This is from at Confused Lefty with the first pick in the 2022 draft. Who do you think the Texans would select? Well, I mean, obviously, I, I would hope they would go for whoever the best quarterback is. But again, I do have this 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 fear that there's two factors that will lead them not to, which is number one, they're gonna they might fall in love with Davis Mills for even if he does well or doesn't do, do well, they'll feel like maybe he hasn't had, had enough of a chance yet. And the second element to it is because to make this defense work, you really need a pass rush. So I could definitely see them going after whoever the top pass rusher is yeah. next year too. Yeah, I just and I, you know you'd hope they wouldn't make any like decisions like that downfield with with a with a Lovey Smith defense in mind, you know. I I would hope not, and I, and I just like the idea that this team. I, the, I, okay, Cal and Jack, say what you want. I I just have to believe that they won't turn around after we are losing our franchise quarterback that we've been waiting so long for, and then pass on the opportunity to get the next one. I, I really hope that doesn't happen because we know it's a quarterback league and uh, I, I just hope it's whoever the top quarterback is. I don't care if Davis Mills comes in and tears it up. I, I, I just, it needs to be whoever the top quarterback, whoever, whoever it is that's best for this team. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you know, whoever that is going to change 10, 12 times before we get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, why I'm not giving a specific name. Exactly. And there's always new quarterbacks that pop up like this guy from Ole Miss and in, in the first week and everything else. It's not something I really pay attention to. And, I'll watch these guys, you know, once football finally ends to to make their make sure there's a little bit more football too. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that as well. Uh we had two questions from Smooth Grandma that that I want to get to. One, he has to scale one through ten how overhyped the fan base will be. We're having a good time today. We're not gonna be haters and losers with, with putrid souls right now. But he said <laughs> Vernon big play Hargreaves had a pick. Will he finish the season with more than four? More than four? Well, I mean, we do have one more game against the Jaguars, so can he pull uh, out three more in, in sixteen games? Um, you know what? Let's let's be optimistic today. Why not? Let's <laughs> let's let's say yes. But here's the undertone of pessimism: they're going to be throwing at him so much that he's going to have a lot of chances. Yeah, or there and there and also like playing the cover two, playing the flat. Like it, enough passes will get bad at the line of scrimmage, or somebody will drop something that will just kind of fall in his lap. You know? Uh, yeah, barring injury, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to go the over. I love the idea, too, of Vernon, Vernon Hargreaves getting the big play guy for this year. Because last year we didn't have one. We had big almost play P.J. Hall. We had big yeah. play Barcavius Mingo. Um, no. And now we have we have big play Vernon <laughs> Hargraves. Yeah, so, man, if Har- if Hargraves could just stick it up the uh, Battle Red blog, Masthead Collective rear end for all the stuff that we've given him that would be fine with me i would love to see that i would i would love it too even though i i still think him starting 17 games is an active war this year and it's only one game but it's only gonna it's only gonna get worse in that regard uh yeah who is the best player on the defense and why was it desmond king <laughs> oh man i don't know who was the best player on defense today i mean uh, the, the pro I, football I, focus grades haven't come out yet so i have no idea i can't make a decision yeah until I see it, it's tough from a. It's two things. It's tough from a TV copy or the TV angles, and also we're spoiled because we're used to watching JJ Watt, and you can see the effect he has on the game every yeah. snap. So we don't have that anymore. So yeah, I, I don't really I, I hate have to take one a pass either. on that one, but I, yeah, I can't. It's Urban like Meyer. With the offense. Like, Urban who, Meyer who, was the Texans' best defensive player. Uh, right. Exactly. Like like who who was the MVP of today's game? I have no idea. Is it is it Terod Taylor? Yeah, just it'd, by be it'd be Ty God. I think it'd be Ty God be the MVP. But I think the Texans' best defensive player was Urban Meyer because I don't think Urban Meyer has <laughs> ever watched an NFL game before. 
don't think he's ever watched the Houston Texans before. I got my. I was joking around that he was watching the University of Texas to prepare for this game. Was surprised. Oh, we saw we saw white and blue and red instead of you know that that nasty orange color. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. Herb didn't do his uh, his team any favors today for sure. So it's, it's harder when you can't pay for your players, and a lot of others <laughs> and a, a lot of other coaches can't. It's a lot harder when you have that advantage. Yeah, and, and like my and my in the darkest corners of, corners of my brain. I want to see him do what I, I forget the guy. It wasn't the Nick Bobby Saban, Petrino? but yes, the like the letters in the locker yeah. room, whoever it was. Like, uh, guys, uh, I've been having chest pains, and uh, you know, I really my 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 kids are growing up without me. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, how, and then, you know, how, how soon? How, how many weeks is it gonna take for Rimar to get hooked up to the EKG machine? <laughs> yes, right, exactly. We need the over and under. Um, well, that's all I got for, for today's show. You know, this was a little bit kind of a quicker one because of some extenuating circumstances, but I think quicker is better sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, we'll have our, our preview show later in the week. And, you know, every Sunday, Chris, you know, if you want to do 5 o'clock, if you want to do 9.30 p.m., we got, we got 17 more of these uh, great games to talk about. Yeah, I'll try to make myself available as much as possible. It was fun. And, and again, you know, I know there was some cynicism, and there always will be with both of us, but... Hey man, ground level view, uh, uh, great job. They deserve credit for how they coached it and how they played it. And you know, uh, it'll be fun. Hopefully, next week's game will be competitive. Like I, I feel like they have a much better chance than I would have thought. You know, before the game started today, so that's that's exciting. I think they're going to give up fifty six points to Cleveland <laughs> on the ground next week. It's going to be. It's I mean, the intermediate pass game is going to be scary, especially if, if Beckham is back next week. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, they're going to give up 56 points next week. But today was a lot of fun. And again, like, we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to tell you that Lonnie Johnson Jr. is a good, a good slot corner or Eric Murray and Randall Cobb are good signings. We're not going to do that to you. We're going to tell you the truth. And today was a lot of fun, but uh, next week will be a little bit different. A lot of these weeks will be different, but at least we'll always have today this, this brand new box, box of puppies that we just got. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. And thank you for uh, speaking up to me. Thanks, Matt. See you next time. Bye. I thought it was pretty good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.